National media continues to exaggerate and promote misleading negative headlines designed to diminish the rule of law and those whose job it is to enforce it. Remember, the only people who want to defund the police and dismantle these agencies are the criminals. And don't forget to thank a cop. Now, let's start the show. Thanks for tuning in this morning. We have our guest in the studio is Chief Chad Kazmar. Good morning. I call you Chief Chad. And I Chief said, Chad. Kazmar. Chad, hey you. <laughs> and on the phone we have Hal Kempfer, CEO of Global Risk Intelligence Planning, and he's going to give us an update on what's going on overseas. Good morning. Well, Sherry, good morning, Sherry. Well, it's been a busy week. Uh, the U.S. has uh, had quite a bit of activity this last week. Uh, as you know, we uh, did a drone strike uh, taking out a, uh, a Shiite militia leader in Iraq. Uh, and, and that was a very targeted strike where it was obviously we were tracking him. And uh, I, what you're starting to see is, uh, and there's been some headlines to this effect, that the U.S. is now really kind of getting more aggressive. One of the things that's been discussed a lot is that the U.S. has drawn up plans to uh, go after the Houthi rebels in Yemen. There's been a variety of things out there. Nobody knows what the actual plans are, obviously, because they're they're secret. secret but yeah, but but there's talk about going after their boats. Uh, the, there's been some discussion that. Uh, possibly special special operations units of the uh, of the United Kingdom, Britain, may be part of that. There's also some discussion of possible hits on our, our strikes on the land, uh, taking out some of these places where the missiles and drones are coming from, and 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 frankly, uh, something has to be done because Maersk, along with other major shipping lines, uh, after the attacks that took place earlier this week, have said, no, we're not going to use. Uh, the Suez Canal and Red Sea. Revenues are dropping dramatically in the Suez Canal. That's impacting Egypt. But it's also going to impact all of us because without oil and containers and everything going through that area, it's going to dramatically increase costs because they got to go all the way around Africa. Right. And it slows down delivery. So Yeah, I know my Christmas uh, and, present still sitting in the Red Sea. <laughs> well, it might be somewhere around the Cape. Uh, it might be somewhere on Cape Horn or something. You know, it's uh, they have they have moved everything. Uh, uh, it's it's uh, one of the things is oil and gas and diesel uh, moved around. Uh, they immediately said, "Let's get let's not run that through that area," and that slows down everything. And that's pretty big because you know Russia they cut off uh, deliveries of uh, oil and, and natural gas from Russia, so Europe is kind of dependent on that at oil natural gas coming through that route and now it's added another couple of weeks in order to get it up there well wow. so uh, yeah and then of course you know the uh the war in israel moves on uh there is a lot of lot of dissension within the uh, israeli cabinet right now um uh, their defense minister gallant put forward a proposal of what gaza will look like after major combat operations but a couple of far-right ministers have basically, they, they came out and said, well, our vision is that we force all the Palestinians out of Gaza and move Israeli settlers in. And I got to tell you, that has set things on fire uh, within the uh, cabinet over there. <laughs> and uh, <Imagine. laughs> yeah. uh, Secretary Blinken uh, is uh, currently in Turkey. He's doing a, a 
full trip throughout the entire region. Uh, part of its coalescing allies uh, against what Iran has been doing, trying to keep this thing from becoming a major regional war. And then he's going to finish off in uh, in uh, Israel. But it's, it's pretty much predicted he's going to have some very, very strong discussions with uh, Netanyahu and his counterpart on uh, what this is supposed to look like. Because the U.S. position on what Gaza should look like after this what the other uh, Arab nations in the region kind of see what it should look like and what Israel is saying uh, are not that close together. In fact, they're pretty far apart. And so we've got to, we're going to try and work to get a more unified voice in as far as what this thing's going to look like. Well, he's got a hard job, and I, the man's everywhere, absolutely everywhere. He should run for president. Because he would, you know, <laughs> he's already trained. He knows what's going on. There would be no learning curve. <laughs> well, he's, uh, I got to tell you, he's, been, he's one, been one busy Secretary of State. He's been on the road a lot. And, uh, and you know, he gets done with this. And then, you know, um, next, you know, you, you turn around and he's back up in Europe again, dealing with all the issues with Ukraine uh, and, uh, and, and what's going on with Russia up there. And uh, it's just, there's a lot going on. And then, of course, you know, um, it doesn't make as much news, but there's been a lot of activity with the Chinese in the uh, South China Sea, West Philippine Sea, uh, shadowing um, Philippine naval vessels, U.S. naval vessels, uh, more provocative actions. And, of course, Taiwan just had an election where the more independent-oriented party said basically the party of the status quo uh, won, and that has obviously irritated China because they wanted to see these more uh, pro-People's Republic of China parties win, and they did not win. And uh, so uh, China's, China's not dissipating, if you will, in terms of its provocative actions over there. So it's been a busy world. And then, of course, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention Venezuela, as uh is threatening uh guyana and the royal navy the british royal navy has put two frigates off the coast to deter that attack and i and i have to say that whole thing it's it's very serious but when you look at that that whole thing it's like the beginning of a bond movie it's like what venezuela attacking <laughs> guyana <laughs> and the british are where <laughs> yeah, it's it's hey. getting a little scurry in the world, and we need to, as long as they don't know where Arizona is, I'm happy. Well, so far. So, so far. far. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Hal, thanks cool. a lot for giving us an update. I appreciate you calling in and getting up early. I know you're calling in from California. It's not that much earlier, but yeah, <laughs> a little bit. But <laughs> Okay, well, Anyways, you... Well, ha- Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, and you have a good weekend. Okay, you too. Okay, take care. Okay, closer to home, we have the chief here, and we're going to talk about all kinds of stuff. Sounds good. Okay, let's talk about, I know last time you were here, you were hiring people like crazy. Yes. What's going on? Hiring's good. I thought you were going to hit me up first with the fact that I had ice on my windshield this morning. It's actually winter, finally. Well, <laughs> I was going to blame you for it. <laughs> so uh, it was nice to have a little bit of a, a chilliness over the holidays. But um, 
The year ended well, uh, Sherry, and staffing staffing's looking up, so I'm really excited to report. Um, total total staffing's up almost uh, six point three over six per, uh, over six percent at six point three. Wow! What does that translate into? Is a, an increase thanks to mayor and council giving me some new positions for expanding really our philosophy, putting the right work in the right hands with community service officers and professional staff investigators. Uh, that academy just launched for the PSI positions in December, and so we have 17 was new folks, right? Yeah, that's really <laughs> exciting. The idea is, uh, much like the community's been receptive of our community service officers, but this is an investigative role where they'll be able to help out our, our commission resources there, those team members. So we're excited about that. The number I'm really excited about, though, is is really we did a great job as a community to manage attrition. and. You know, there's a lot of things that go into keeping an employee happy and healthy and how the community feels and mayor and council treats and, leaders, you know, TPD leadership treats our employees makes a big difference. And, and we're seeing that. So we've reduced a historical average of, of attrition of about 7.25 a month down to five a month. And, you know, some of the listeners might go, wow, it's only two point, you know, two, two basically that's people huge. a month. But that's 24 officers that, you know, have chosen to stay and, and stay on board. And that's a that's a really big deal. You know, when an officer retires and 20, 30 years walks out the door, it's really difficult for me to replace that. And uh, while we're excited about every new police officer recruit that hires with us and deploys, you know, almost a year later on their own, it takes years really to fill that toolbox up with with uh lived experiences learned experiences through those calls for service and street smarts and so um it's not a one for one and and we certainly recognize that but in the last five years uh with with 2023 being an exception we were losing about five percent of our commission resources a year uh that's a lot that's unsustainable and and this year we flipped that's the script on that and we were able to increase our staffing by about one percent in our commission ranks so again it doesn't sound like a, a huge number uh but it but it's a it's a it's a huge victory for us as an organization as a city of tucson and and i'm excited and it's certainly trending in the right direction so all of that means I'm only floating about 35, 40 vacancies right now um, at the at the beginning of the year, uh, and we're halfway through, you know, a fiscal year, and and uh, ready to and excited about what 2024 brings. When's the next class? When are you hiring next? We're hiring now, so we can. Uh, we're, let, let's talk about hiring for a minute. So you can, of course, go to our tried and true join TucsonPD.org. But one of the things here we really looked at over the last year was recognizing, okay, we have to do more, right? Okay, we can't just keep trying to do the same thing and getting the same results and the same number of applicants, which floats around 300. And, and we whittle that down to about 20 qualified applicants. And half of that class can attrit through the, you know, the whole training process. Uh, and so, you know, it goes from 300 to 10 people that finally deploy on their own a year, year and a half later. And that's, that's just not working for us. So, uh, Public safety, that means police, fire, and emergency communications have uh, have, uh, partnered up and and found a local company that knows Tucson and knows the demographics and knows how to connect with our youth and our community. And so we're we're really excited to launch initiative. And really, uh, it's the tagline is, we don't need a hero, we need you. And that's catchy for a reason, because I think when we think about public safety or emergency communications or even fire... Uh, it's been so glamorized or dramatized on TV, yeah. uh, and certainly for a police profession, we've been um, kind of drugged through the mud a little bit around use of force and the uh, police reform, <laughs> air quote. And so it's really um, branding what we actually do for a living and, and educating the community and maybe you know parts of our community that would never have thought about uh, serving in one of our three public safety organizations. So you can learn more about that at publicsafety.tucsonaz.gov. What uh, are it, the three? 
police, fire, and emergency communications. So here's the great news. We can hire. So so if you have a family or a friend uh, uh, that has a, a high school graduate that's going to be graduating in 2024, all three public safety organizations have jobs for your loved ones. And they're great jobs. I mean, we just, we don't, we, we don't pitch what a great organization the city of Tucson is to work for. I, I've been here over 27 years. It's been the only place in my adult life that I've worked. Uh, and we do really great things. If, did you know, Sherry, that we will pay for a hundred percent of your uh, college tuition, both for an undergraduate and graduate degrees. If, you know, once if, you hire on with us. That's awesome. Isn't that's that amazing? And I'll amazing. tell you from a, a son who just decided to not go back to year two of uh, NAU and join the army, which I'm super proud of him for. Um, but it's big cost. It's a hundred thousand dollars now for a bachelor's degree in this state. And yes, and uh, yes. so we can help you with that. We can. We have uh, uh, an amazing benefits package, amazing health insurance, uh, parental leave, six weeks of parental leave. So we're really excited. All three organizations to really lock into our youth here in the community and hire them at at uh, eighteen years of age when they graduate, and then help develop them through their uh, early adult lives and help them make the right decisions that could later maybe allow them to take even higher levels of responsibility like a police officer recruit position. Yeah, and mentoring right now, kids aren't being mentored, so being mentored by the right group of people is huge. It's a big deal. I think um, it's a it's a tough time. Uh, it, the, the economy's tough, and, and parents are working you know multiple jobs, and kids are raising themselves, and then we have these amazing devices, devices. called <laughs> cell phones slash computers on our hips that allow kids to... Uh, make decisions that really their brains aren't fully comprehending, you know, what kind of impact that will have. So we certainly, the public safety family here in Tucson uh, can help with that. And uh, we have, uh, you know, all three organizations are amazing. I've worked in two of them and I know Chief Ryan really well. And uh, in fact, I I have encouraged my my oldest son, he did a ride along with TFD to explore all the different options. So I tell you what, you know, you can often, you know, evaluate what kind of organization somebody works for when they want their own family or friends or children. And I'd, I'd be honored if if my sons followed in, in, in my footsteps and worked for either three of the public safety organizations. And that's one of the things, too. If you, you want to get an idea of what it's like to be an officer, do a ride-along. Absolutely. And there's links for that. And both of those, I'll say them again, join TucsonPD.org or all three organizations. You can check us out at publicsafety.tucsonaz.gov. And, and you can learn more about uh, the organizations and set up ride-along. Because I think what you'll find is... Um, you had a lot of misperceptions about what we actually do for a living. And we do yes. a lot of, you know, supporting people on their worst day, connecting with social services, trying to help people solve problems. Um, and, and frankly, it's on their worst day. So, you know, one of the exciting things I think about all three organizations is when you come to work, you don't know exactly what your day is going to hold. And, and uh, certainly for the two field teams, it's uh, an, an even a different level of excitement. But I can't tell you enough, I'm you know, I have a soft spot for uh, public safety communications department since I got to lead that organization for a year before becoming chief. And they're amazing people. And if you, it, that is like TV, we need to get them on. Yes. 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 Let's do it. I know Sharon, I know the director, Sharon McDonald, would love to come on with her, one of her team members. Let's okay. do it. I'll set it up. Thank you. You betcha. Appreciate it. Yep. Because I, I know they have a hard job. And oh. They are they are absolutely part of the the public safety team. And they're the first stop. They are. Um, I like to say, you know, they're they're a legitimate third tier of the public safety team. And police and fire in the field, the field responders can't do their job if we if we don't have the angels up there and doing doing their work. And 
you talk about a tough job. I mean, they they are they get they get no time to settle in. That call comes in. They have to process what it is. They have seconds to do that, and mm-hmm. then they have to figure out: is this a police call? Is this some, is somebody you know medical calls or house on fire? Does it need both organizations? Or they do some really special work now. We don't talk about it enough. You know, in a world where we're really trying to decide, it's not always the best resource to send a police or or a police officer or a firefighter. We pull a thousand calls a month off of the 911 system of folks that are in crisis and, and that are mental health crisis and need a, a mental health advocate, not not a first responder. Um, so they're doing amazing work. We just launched our 311 program as well, really the continued work, yeah. And so Sharon needs to come on and talk about that. You can go to 311 and it's basically, you know, if you're not sure if it's, if here's the deal, if you're not sure to, if, if it's an emergency, it's probably not an emergency. Uh, and we've had some non-emergency lines that have just been broken for years. The technology's not, you know, hasn't been appropriately kept up and so this is a much better uh resource for the city of tucson if you're not sure you know there's a wa- there's a main water leak there's some graffiti you want to report or you you have, there's some suspicious activity that you don't want to tie up the 911 line with you can call 311 now that's awesome who came up with that idea director mcdonough and her team and, and city leadership bought in and supported the expansion of that resource within the public safety communications department so well, it's amazing. It's idea. new. It's going to continue to scale, and and they're already peeling off uh, a quite a quite a bit of workload that doesn't belong on the emergency system. I remember when my son was like four or five years old, there was a TV show called Nine One One. Yeah, and he yes. called him to tell him how he liked his their show. <laughs> the local police were like calling yeah. back, going, "Do you know what your son just did?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We tra- you know we're trying to unprogram uh, you know community. We we are all there, right, in kindergarten and elementary exactly. school. Of like, if you're if if you need help, call nine one one. And you know that's um, you know like everybody. You know the great resignations impacted all organizations, and the city of Tucson is no different. And we've done a great job of uh, as a team, as an organization, of filling vacancies, uh, being really intentional about that all year. But um, making sure we're using the right resource um, helps everybody. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk about some of these calls. Let's talk about violent crime. Let's talk about violent crime. Yes. <laughs> well, what categories categorizes a violent crime? So, um, you know, federal federal statutes mandate you know part one, and basically what we think about robbery, rape, murder, um, those types of things, aggravated assault, uh, pointing a gun at someone, those types of things. So, I'm happy to report uh, year to date we're down 13 percent violent crime. So. And we'll talk about the why here in a minute, but I'll just throw some numbers at you. Um, you know, when we can, we can go, okay, 13% year to date, but what's the average? Well, that's actually down 9% on a five-year average. So we're really, really excited about that. Property crime, we were really level for a year to date, but we're also down 10% on a five-year average. So, you know, it's important to look at our, our, our year-to-date averages and how we're doing on trends, but really we have to look at a broader snapshot to, to gauge chemistry of, of how we're doing. One of the things that I'm really, really, really excited to report on, though, and we've been very focused on our gun crime in Tucson last year, is a 22.7% reduction of homicides. And that's a really spectacular number. That means from 75 homicides in 2022 down to 58 in 2023. And I'll remind everybody, we had 86 in 2021. So if we really look at that number, we're down almost 33%. I know your homicide guys are really busy. (laughs) They're very busy. Our our violent crime unit as a whole. And and, and so really what I want to talk about specific to violent crime is that's a, you know, that is a tried and true commitment uh, to evidence-based strategies. And you've probably heard us talk about our place network investigations where we really recognize um, it's not just a matter of police going in and, and, and doing police work. It's we're really evaluating why do we have these problems in certain uh, uh, 
areas of our community. Uh, and when we look at it that way and we start pulling that onion back, we start looking at the property managers of the, of the, of the apartment complex, let's say, where that's a center of that. Yeah. And we engage them to be part of the solution. We engage community. We, we, we provide services, community safety, health and wellness, city Tucson resources are invested. So communities engaged to be part of the solution. So it's really a holistic partnership where it's not just a police problem. Like we've typically looked at it mm-hmm. and recognizing because when we do things like hotspotting and, and for example, hotspotting is where I'll send. And we did this over 20,000 times last year where we know we're having um, more crime in a, in a, in a dense area or, or a specific area in the town that we want to um, get on top of just by placing an officer in that area for a specific amount of time at a specific uh, time period will impact and de- decrease your crime issue, right? Does mm-hmm. not a shocker, right? Police in the area, yeah. you have less problems, mm-hmm. but when you remove that resource and those problems, so there's, you know, there's, there's different types of, of, let's say treatments we're, we're, we're giving our community right now uh, where we're trying to see it, uh, impact and reductions in violent crime. We're also launching something. Uh, we did launch uh, something called community-based violence interruption programs, which again is a, is a comprehensive plan where you go in, um, you get nonprofits engaged, you get folks with lived experiences who have turned their lives around. And we really start to connect with folks who are uh, demonstrating risky behavior. So today's victim of a violent crime is highly probable to be tomorrow's suspect of that. And so, there's a, a lot of evidence and data that goes into that. There's an analytical team that goes into it. There's our crime lab that goes into it. And of course, as you noted, our amazing detectives who do the work out in the field. Yeah, they have they have an incredible record for solving murders. Ninety percent. I mean, <laughs> like... over ninety percent. And and again, so just to put that in context for the listeners this morning, people are excited across the country last year that we reached as a profession of fifty percent solvency rate, and we're at ninety. And and you know, let me just add on top of bragging on the staff. It also is the fact that we have community that's willing to engage with us. Uh, so programs like ADA Crime um, if, if, uh, provide a level of uh, an anonymity and, com- and comfort to folks to be able to come in and and, uh, and tell us what they're seeing out there in the community. And that's important. We can't police the community without their trust and confidence in us and sharing information. And that number shows that they do. And the program where, you know, you can let police know that you have a camera, a security camera, and you're willing to let them use the footage if there's a crime? Yep. You can go to our main webpage, and there's a variety of different ways that you can report crime to including, and not while you're driving, uh, but if uh, <laughs> but uh, aggressive driving behavior and also register your, your, uh, your ring cameras. We solve a lot of, uh, a lot of crime with uh, community-partnered uh, access to their cameras. So what that means is you can register your camera with us. Uh, and we don't have access to that in, in, unless we come to you and ask for it. And we're going to get you that address here in a minute that we'll send you to. But the idea behind that is, so it's not a big brother. We want to make sure that we're being thoughtful in our approach and how we access cameras. But public-facing cameras um, are, are the future of even a further crime reduction. And if you didn't watch Mayor and Council, which a lot of folks probably don't, um, I got the end of the year, I was approved. I asked for about, uh, you know, it wasn't, the amount wasn't really that important. It was, But it was really expanding uh, public and private partnerships in, in, in both the technologies that we use. For example, where can we put uh, pan, tilt, zoom cameras in the community, in public spaces like downtown, where we're going to have really dense populations of people in a world of active killers and active shooters, right? Where yeah. I want to make those as safe as possible. And I take my family down uh, to Second Saturday and those events uh, downtown too. 
And and I want I want the community to know, hey, smile, you're on camera. So if you're down here committing criminal <laughs> behaviors, we're going to figure out who you are and we're going to hold you accountable. Yes. Um, and so, but the but the private partnerships of technology, the lighting, the cameras, giving the the PD access to those when a crime has occurred or suspicious activity. So the registry allows us to basically a detective to go in in a geofenced area and go, okay, in this area, I know these cameras exist. I'm going to go contact these owners and see if I can get access for this amount of time on this date to help to try to solve a crime. Yeah, you could be a, a crime solver with there you go with your um, camera. I mean, you, why not? You can help us perform like, you know, CSI, you name it, Miami, Arizona, you know, we're actually <laughs> solve crime in 60 minutes. That's in right. a 60 minute TV show. You need to do it. Yeah. Register your cameras. We are working on it. So we are going to be focusing on expanding that. We are part of a a program called the Public Safety Partnership. We're in a year two of three. And what that was, was the federal government recognizing uh, the level of violent crime we had in our community and the commitment to evidence-based strategies. And we were one of six cities uh, in 2022 that was awarded that. And that's a big deal because that gives us access uh, to training. And so my, I had five team members attend a conference uh, the first week in December in Indianapolis. We actually presented on our place network investigations and our success where we've reduced violent gun crime by 75% to 80% in three different locations. It works. There, it, you know, the data supports that it works. Um, and But it also allowed us to have training to make connections that will ultimately hopefully yield grant funding. Uh, we, we manage about $20 million of grant funding a year here, here at TPD and, and it's a lifesaver for us. And so we're going to continue to, uh, to go after aggressively more federal grants this year. Good. Teach me how to do that. We need a grant. We can well, do that. <laughs> Let's talk about, do you have a, oh, do you have the website? Yeah, so the viewers can basically go to tucsonaz.gov forward slash police and and, uh, and there's a report crime online tab that will take you to, to all the reporting that you need. Perfect. Let's talk about street racing. Yes. That, I don't, I just don't understand why they don't go out to the racetrack and, and you know, get their jollies out there. They're in intersections by residents it's crazy. Yeah, so I'd like to, you know, as a as a as a an advocate and uh, an enjoyer of of classic cars and hot rods and off road vehicles and all sorts of, I'm a car guy. I am too. Um, <clears throat> these are not folks who are are car enthusiasts per se. Of what we think that we we have a lot of law abiding car clubs here in town. We have uh, drag racers in town. We have short court we have all sorts of different you know stock cars all sorts of different venues where you can go out and you can you can do those activities people in our community who are engaging in intersection takeovers are not there to be car enthusiasts these are not hyper these are off the lot cars or this is your mom's car you know that (laughs) you know they or your dad's car and they don't know why they you know when they get back in the car the next day one tire's bald and and these are these are just people that are really engaging in a mob mentality that want to take over an intersection with 50 to 100 people. There's guns involved. There's uh, dangerous behavior involved of, of basically what we call a slideshow, <clears throat> which is where they get the vehicle to go fast enough and turn it sideways where it breaks loose and basically do donuts in the middle of this intersection and see how close you can get to other cars or people. And, and we have had violent crime at these things. We have had individuals get hit with cars at these things. And our community, our law-abiding community gets caught up in these where it shuts down an entire... Uh, it shuts down an entire intersection. So um, this is one of the things that really allowed my conversation to expand with mayor and council and city leadership about the need for technology. 
um, so we can start capturing you know equipment like uh, automated license plate readers ALPR on our on on, on specific intersections on, placed on our vehicles allows us to capture all of the license plates in an event like this and, and run them to do further contact and follow up. It is illegal to not only participate, but to stop and, and, and watch and these watch. things as well, because you're effectively blocking, uh, uh, blocking the intersection. So, um, I'll tell you, we did, uh, four regional, uh, over, over, over three regional, uh, deployments last year and they're not cheap. They're, you know, these also cost a lot of money. You know, I don't have the resources uh, to just just put those together uh, with the resources that I have in the field that are there to call to respond to calls for service. Right. When you call 911 and you want an officer, that's their job. So it's a labor intensive regional effort because this isn't just impacting the city of Tucson. They're going into the county. They're going into Marana. Uh, and and it's a problem everywhere. So I, I can't thank my regional partners enough. The sheriff, you know, sheriff's been great. Uh, b- both Marana or Valley, U of A, all the chiefs are on board. And and so what that's yield is nearly 400 traffic stops, uh, nearly 200 citations. Uh, th- uh, 23 of those were racing and reckless. 23 of those also resulted in vehicle impounds. Uh, four uh, felony DUI arrest, uh, 59 other violations, three guns recovered. So this is just the beginning uh, uh, of our committed effort to disrupt this behavior and really create a culture here in Tucson. If you if you engage in this type of behavior, we will find you and we will impound your car and we will arrest you. Okay, you impound the car. Does the car stay impounded until after a court date? It does. It, 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 there's some different variances, but typically it's for at least 30 days. And there, there are some, you know, let me just say it this way. There's some legislative efforts both at a, uh, at a, at a state level that we're going to work on this year because, again, this is, an era, this is really a, a problem in our country for most major cities. And yeah. if you can believe it or not, it's worse than other parts of the country. So yes. <laughs> it's a problem here, but it, could, it certainly could be worse. But there's also some uh, city code changes that we can continue to work on and make, and so the, the, the punishment is increased. We're also working with insurance companies uh, because if, if somebody can't get insurance or their insurance is doubled uh, and we start hitting people's pocketbooks or parents' pocketbooks that aren't, aren't controlling the, the behavior of their children, then we're hoping to see different results. So we're not going to just tackle this through an enforcement effort. Uh, it's it's, it's an all-hands-on-deck uh, collaborative yeah. effort. And we're also going to work with some expanding some other ideas to, to try to draw some of this community to places where they could legally engage in some of this type of behavior. So if your kid is, is borrowing your car and all of a sudden it's impounded for 30 days minimum, that's a problem. Here's what I'd say. <laughs> and here's what I tell my son who's 20 now. Um, nothing good comes of being out past midnight. Unless okay. you're working, there's really no reason to be out past midnight. And so uh, parents, pay attention to what your kids are doing. This is a this is a, a parental issue as well. I we, wish we, they'd bring those things back. It's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Do you remember that? Well, one of these situations last year, we had a grandparent bring out a, a 12-year-old and a 16-year-old to watch an event at 2 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it's ridiculous. So um, <laughs> again, I can't, you know, we, we have over half a million population here in Tucson. Uh, we're the 33rd largest city in the country and a, and a workforce of 1,200 committed team members can't control every adult, you know, ju- juvenile with, with uh, uncontrollable, reckless, reckless behavior. So we, we, we need everybody's help on this. Um, spread the word. There's, there, like you said, there's safe venues to, to engage in this kind of behavior. There's racetracks up in Phoenix. We have racetracks here. But this isn't about that. Again, this is about the YouTube clicks. It's about social media. Uh, and it's yeah. and it's a mob mentality, and we're going to continue to be very aggressive in our efforts to address this this year. 
Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in a few. Southern Arizona Against Slavery is hosting its first annual Human Trafficking Awareness Walk January 20th at Reed Park. This free event is open to community members of all ages, and you may register on our website, sastucson.com. That's S-A-A-S-Tucson.com. In addition to the walk, you'll find a silent auction, food trucks, jumping castles, and a variety of ways to donate to efforts directly combating human trafficking in our community. We hope to see you there. Law Matters Live Show works hard at keeping you informed on current issues from all law enforcement agencies, including any changes in both the tax and mortgage loan rules. I host the show as a volunteer. My real job is working for a mortgage broker with over 20 resources in residential, commercial, jumbo, as well as a reverse mortgage company whose new rule is offering tax-free money to those 55 and older, qualifying for up to $4 million. If you want to learn more, call me after the show at 520-310-9900. Law Matters wants you to know all phone and email scams follow the same basic pattern. A potential victim is contacted, they are given a compelling reason to act, and then they are told to pay money. In every scheme, there is an urgency factor. These scammers are professionals. They are using scripts that work. It is okay to hang up or tell a lie if you have to. Better yet, don't answer the phone if you don't recognize the number. If in doubt, reach out to a friend or a family member. Law Matters is asking you to tune in every Saturday morning at 8 to hear from law enforcement and professionals in the industry. This year, Law Matters will be hosting educational events on topics that should concern everyone, like slavery, sexual predators, gun violence, and illegal drugs. And if you're buying illegal drugs, you are the problem. Because without buyers, there would be no sellers. Stay tuned to Law Matters for more event details as they develop. Staying with us, our guest in studio is Chief Chad Kazmar. And let's talk a little bit about gun violence. What can the community do to help out? Great question. Um, well, first, and I'll tell you, we, we've across the country and we're no exception we've seen younger and younger and i'm talking 12 13 14 year olds be involved with Mm. gun violence and homicides uh last year so really really troubling and we continue to work with our community partners with the people county attorney's office with our judges to decide you know what what we do and when violence occurs with such a young young human being the first thing we can do though is you know there's been a lot of teeth mashing in this country on all the active killers and school shootings and and gun control but you know what i tell people is let's start with just responsible gun ownership and so i'm an advocate of responsible gun ownership i have kids i have to safely keep my firearms in my house and my vehicles so we have about a thousand uh, guns that are stolen from vehicles alone let alone burglaries and burglaries have uh have trended and stayed down post COVID, which is exciting because in this new world of working, you know, virtual environment, more people are at home. I think that's certainly impacted and decreased burglaries as well. But responsible gun ownership means if you're, you know, the only safe way to keep a gun in a vehicle is if you have a safe in your vehicle, do not leave your gun unsecured in a purse under your seat in the glove box in a center console with, with your key. You know, those are easy. Those are easy. They're all plastic. It's easy to pop pop loose and people who are breaking into cars are going to look for those weapons and so just think if we had a thousand less guns off the street we'd have less gun violence yeah right true that uh and so that's that's uh because we're even going as far as tracking 
non-fatal gun piercing incidents. And we're down about 70% on those from where we are year to date last year. So again, things are trending in the right area, but, but we're not, we're not claiming success here. We're saying, Hey, great numbers. Let's even, let's try to even increase those as we move into 2024 here. And that comes with responsible gun ownership. And, and, and I'll just say too, we, we do have one or two accidents a year where kids get access to firearms and, and end up injuring themselves or, or a sibling or a friend. And so even if they're at home, we would encourage, you know, keeping that gun in a safe place and a safe, it's accessible for home defense, but recognizing, you know, and, 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 and that you got to have a secure and for other parents, you know, it's safe, as a chief and a parent, I'll tell you, it's okay when your your child is going to a new house to say, hey, do you own guns and are they secured? And yes. if they're not, maybe have the sleepover at your place. Exactly. Exactly. Because you don't know what other people are doing and where they store their weapons. You don't. Let's talk about drugs. Yes. What do you know? Tell me everything you know about drugs. <laughs> fentanyl. Fentanyl. Where do we start? So... Uh, fentanyl continues to be a real challenge for us. And so if you don't know what that is, it's a blue pill that looks like a Sudafed pill. It's a synthetic, synthetic opiate. So they don't have to grow a field anymore. These chemicals, precursor chemicals are coming in. It's, again, it's not a political statement from China to Mexico. And it's being produced uh, at a rate that, frankly, the U.S. is just struggling to, to manage. 50% of the uh, fentanyl in this country is seized in the state of Arizona. We're, our proximity to the border, our border issues, again, uh, um, a secure border and a meaningful immigration reform, and I'm sure we're probably going to talk about that too a little bit later, all play a role when we talk about fentanyl pumping into our, uh, our country and in our community. So the fact that the proximity to our border, it's just so affordable, is really having a, a negative effect. I've, in my 24 years of public safety and uh, about four years of just... 100% focused on narcotics investigations in my career, I've never seen a drug like this impact a community or our country. Uh, so that's not going away. It's it's 50, 50 times uh, stronger than morphine. Uh, and and that's, a, that's, a, that's a really crazy number if you think about it. Um, and so a couple different things. We can't enforce our way out of this. Enforcement is, a, is, a key, is, is going to continue to be uh, a key element. We did over 5,000 narcotics arrests. Uh, I can't, I'm not, I couldn't be more proud of uh, the patrol staff and our, our resources that are, that's hundred percent. Their focus is working narcotics, the work and the impact that they've had. But there's an education, uh, educational component of this too. Your, your kids, if they're in elementary school, as soon as you can start talking about things that go in their mouth is the time to start talking about fentanyl and not taking anything from a person that, you know, they don't know. Not um, even if it looks like candy. And they market it. The cartels are smart and they're even marketing it like candy. And so uh, fentanyl is a, an absolute driver of our unsheltered population and a lot of the, you know, related issues to that, the plight, the criminal damage, the shoplifting, uh, because folks are out there um, um, supporting, supporting their, their habits. So I'm going to ask folks, you know, please, there are better ways to than to give money to somebody who's panhandling in the medians. We're still working on a on a, a city code that would that would t- potentially work that we think is uh, constitutional that protects their freedom of speech to to loiter to loiter and and solicit uh, folks for money. But there's better ways. You're not helping that individual by giving them money. Um, so you're supporting their drug habit. You're supporting the drug habit. So, a lot of nonprofits here in town that are working to help folks. Uh, we we are still committed to a deflection program, or if somebody's ready to get rehab, the officers have the choice to not make the arrest, but to take someone to to rehab and get them help. Uh, but yeah, we have to really, I think, as a community, as a public safety team, which means 
law enforcement. Uh, it means your fire department. It means your county attorney, your city, your city attorney, city prosecutors, public defender, all of us. And the judges have to really think, okay, evaluate how did we, how did last year work out for us? And, yeah. and I think if we're going to be honest with each other, there's there's room for improvement in, in how we tackle that. And so I'll also say I'm a you know as a, a a person who's lost a loved one to heroin use and has a family member who's a recovering addict, incarceration is is often not the best solution, but arrest can be used to leverage someone into treatment. The best utopian model is that they're ready to get treatment on their own, but the next best thing is how do you create enough discomfort where folks are ready to get treatment? Uh, and so it's it's complicated. There's no one perfect solution. People are going to uh, fall out of uh, a rehab process, the process. But uh, we got to continue to work on it because businesses uh, do struggle uh, to, to maintain commerce if they're having a high crime area related to the unsheltered population or plight or criminal damage or theft. Uh, it impacts us when we go into Home Depot now. You can't or or Lowe's or you name a big box store, Target. They've all had to take significant measures to reduce shoplifting, which impacts you and I, our yeah. ability to walk into a store and purchase something legally. So it's time. It's time to keep, you know, we've, we've done a good job. Um, we do put uh, felony cases together uh, in collaboration with the Pima County Attorney's Office and have success there with holding our high, 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 you know, the top 10 of shoplifters here in town who are, are going beyond supporting a drug habit and are looking at doing fencing and different types of things with stolen property. Yeah, that was on the news that people were flying in from other countries because they could do retail theft here and not be charged and ship their goods back to wherever they came from. And I'm like, oh, my God. It's a problem. It's a problem. Yes. <laughs> so, okay, you said that they could be, if they they say they're willing to be helped, they're ready to be helped, they could take be taken to a different facility. Yes. Do they have to stay there for a specific number of days or? They don't, you know, and that's one of the challenges. I think... For me, the the evolution this year and something I'm really uh, reading a lot about in other parts of the country and learning from major city chiefs association and what's working in other other communities is the idea of you you provide treatment for somebody where they're at and and often that times is out on the street because right. the withdrawal is uh, fear is so bad from fentanyl um, that's really been an inhibitor for people wanting to get treatment and and the accessibility of the drug why why get off of it if you know you can if you know you can get it right and it's affordable because getting off of it is painful correct yeah it, it, it oh absolutely yeah absolutely it, it definitely to do it the correct way it, it, it takes a, a medicated process but there are treatments that we can do in the field that are being done um, out in the out in the out in the field so let's say hypothetically say you found somebody that was unsheltered living in a camp you and you found out that they were you know they were addicted they had a substance misuse disorder with fentanyl and often they're not just using fentanyl. It's a poly drug use, fentanyl, methamphetamine, or, or some other drug. Uh, fentanyl is just the most accessible. So it's really providing treatment that then, you know, injections, uh, medications out in the field that would then make the withdrawal symptoms decreased. And, and you're, you're, you then increase your ability through a, a MAT evaluation, a MAT process of going in and, and, and trying to get people to think about then entering low barrier shelter housing or entering a program. Um, but it, 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 you know, it's a complicated issue that's taking, you know, a metropolitan uh, government approach. I think the city of Tucson uh, and Pima County leadership are working more collaboratively than I've than I've ever seen. There's opiate dollars that are under discussion and how we impact those. I'm certainly pushing for a huge educational component to that because when we when we see this issue out in the community, what we have to recognize is when we just focus on that or we're just treating 
what we see, it's a little bit like, you know, treating skin cancer or a a significant medical problem. If we don't go back and start figuring out a way to prevent people, whether it's, you know, you know, I, I, I think it, Education and, and I don't want to get too far off on a tangent, but investing in the youth is a root cause to a solution to a lot of the issues that we have. And when we have classroom sizes of 40 and 50 kids with one teacher, that's not going to work, right? And, and so investment in the school, investment in the parks, investment after school programs, keeping kids engaged, um, looking at the early signals when, when a youth is in crisis for a variety of reasons and then making significant investments all have prevention both in violent crime and drug use and mental health and positive outcomes. So, again, as a state, as a country, as, as, as a local community, we have to start thinking about how to continue to do a better job of investing in our youth. Well, hats off to you because you've really gone over and above you know, trying to help these people where I remember when they'd just be locked up, thrown in jail, and, you know, sweated out. Well, I'll tell you, I, you know, we, we've, in this country, we focused on police reform specifically, and we've been the target and focus of that. And I, I actually don't, I try to, I'm trying to move away from the word reform and talk about just the evolution of public, of a safe community. And, and we're part of that. And jails are, are a big chemistry of that too. And, and, uh, I've, I've taken a, a, a tour at the Pima County jail with the, with the sheriff and, and seeing the investment that he needs and he's asking for. So whether it's, your medical staff that's prepared to treat folks coming in with a substance misuse disorder or mental health disorder, right? That that needs to be invested in for the sheriff to have good outcomes in his jail. Um, when we think about uh, programs, we, we shouldn't necessarily, what we've learned, I think, from the last 20 years of public, you know, of public safety law enforcement in, in the criminal justice system is, okay, well, what are you doing with these individuals while you have a captive audience? Whether that's at a, a jail like a Pima County jail where they're more short-term, 24, 36, 72 hours or, or 30 days, or and, and they, they can extend beyond that in, in certain cases. But what do you do? What kind of resources do you invest if we're trying to get different outcomes? Um, yeah. Then, then we got to invest resources. So uh, certainly trying to shine more light on that system, but it just gets, you know, more, there's more bureaucracy and more government organizations involved and it becomes Lots more difficult to do. Tape. Lots of red tape. <laughs> Lots of red tape. But, but if we, if we focus on it and we collaborate, on, on those issues, I think we can have growth in those spaces and have different outcomes. And that's something I really am impressed with because when I first moved to Tucson and when I lived in Chicago, every agency was their own entity and, you, you know, it was a stay-in-your-lane mentality and that's not the way it is anymore. Everybody's working together to... And they almost need to because of the way the world's evolved. Yeah, these problems are so complex and everybody's staffing is so thin. I think the benefit of that, we have a a tagline, uh, there's opportunity within crisis, is that everybody's doing more together because uh, you have to. And and, and we're all moving more towards uh, data-based decisions and that's not a catchy you know, tagline or, and it can be if you're actually not committing the resources to do the work behind the scenes, but you have to evaluate your, the treatment of a patient and why the, why the patient's responding. Uh, Because when we look at programs like scared straight with youth, that it actually, it sounded like it would work. It didn't work. You know, when, when it did, when you did (laughs) long-term studies on that, and I think in some cases actually had a detrimental uh, impact on that. So we're, we're more thoughtful, we're smarter, uh, we're more engaged with the community. And I get asked a lot, like we're evolving. And I, that's why I say the evolution of policing, because, um, I love, and I don't meet folks that often in the community who are, you know, you know, uh, committed defund police folks, but I certainly, meet folks that don't understand my budget or they don't understand what we do for a living. And then when I really paint a picture of what we're trying to do and paint a picture of my budget, that 95% of my budget is actually towards personnel costs. 
and we're still working towards having a, a general uh, fund-based budget that pays for cars and it pays for body armor and pays for the basic equipment that we need to do the job, which we don't have right now, because this is a poor community, right? And I, I recognize city leadership's doing the best job they can to, to fund us, um, and everybody has a has a has a thin budget right now and at home and in business, and we're all lean. But uh, we're a time in our country where I think um, there's a return, there's a clear return on investment when we invest in public safety and resources, expanded resources like community safety, health, and wellness, um, where we rethink and putting the right work in the right hand. So I think we're in a good spot. Look, three years, I'm, go, I'm launching into my third year as chief, fourth year as a director with the city, and uh, I remain just as passionate and optimistic and excited about our, our future here. No, I think you're doing an amazing job. Thank you. Thank you. Doing. Yeah, I got an amazing team and an amazing community. You're all easy to work hard for. Let's talk about the asylum seekers. I mean, there seems to be kind of a train wreck going on in the border. And in fact, I've, I've got Border Patrol coming on at the end of the month. Um, there's a lot of people who are coming in illegally and being, you know, you've got people set up with, you know, I don't know, concession stands. <laughs> what do you call them? And that kind of encourages these people to come in illegally. What's the story with that, and how is it impacting your people? Well, I, I, I don't. What's the, for the to get the story? I don't think you'll get that from me or even from Border Patrol. I think you'd have to have somebody from Washington on, because I think most of the law enforcement leadership, and I would consider you know Border Patrol part of that CBP. It, we, we'd like to know that answer too. What is the plan and what is the strategy? Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, I, I would classify fentanyl as a, as a public health crisis, just as the, the mayor called for, and I, and I agree with, with her on that. And I think this is a public health crisis, too. Um, the, the amount of folks um, that are being processed through our community, anywhere from 500 to 1,000 a day. And thank, you know, thank goodness we have really generous nonprofits who, um, who are, are, are bearing the brunt of most of the facilitating of of when border patrol can no longer CBP can no longer legally detain um, these asylum seekers and they have to process them through our community to get them to where they want to be. And, and this is, this is a crisis that everybody in our community should be paying attention to. And if you haven't taken a bus out of town lately or been to TIA Dominion airport, if you haven't, you can, you will, you'll see it, the real impact because they're, there, we are processing thousands of pe- people a month yeah. in our community to, to get them other parts of the country. And, there is a public health com- uh, a crisis to that too, and what the long-term strategy is that again, uh, uh, Pima County and the city of Tucson are not uh, busting at the seams with with funds to to support the, the amount of work that it takes to uh, do this in a meaningful way. So, kind of, I think the uh, the governor, I think our our mayor, our county administrator, all city leadership is really trying to put pressure on the federal government to really get a better answer to what is the long-term strategy here, what is our plan. I'm part of a couple different organizations, including one that works on meaningful immigration reform. And I would say through the past two administrations, again, kind of bipartisan perspective here, we failed. You know, there has to be Absolutely. a legal way for people to come into this country and work. Uh, and that impacts us here locally. You just, you know, you only have to go to Green Valley and, and look at some of the, uh, the, the farming um, impact when folks can't in a meaningful way come across and then go back across the border. So call to action is, look, the federal government needs to get it together, period. They need to start working together. Um, we voted all these folks into office and they need to work for us. And right now what they're doing is not working. So who do I have on so we can talk about it? Let's hold their feet to the fire. 
Well, I, I think, um, you know, I think it'd be interesting for you to talk to somebody from the governor's office. I mean, she's been very vocal um, in the attorney, uh, attorney general's office on um, that, that more has to be done. Um, I think we just saw that when uh, uh, some, some staffing reallocation decisions are made, being made at our border crossing points without consultation on how that's going to impact commerce here in our state and in Mexico. And, and uh, I think it was through the action of our local government at a state level that really got some of those decisions to be made. But um, I think everybody uh, has has uh, somebody they know and has a voice and, and uh, higher levels of government officials that you can start asking those types of questions are, hey, you know, what what is the long-term plan here? What is the strategy? Because uh, right now it's a free-for-all. It certainly feels that way, and I'm, I'm not much... Uh, I'm, I'm unfortunately not even as a chief of police provided... Uh, any more insight to some of that longer term strategy than our community has right now. And that's unfortunate. What I don't understand. And, and I had, um, Sheriff Daniels on a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was last week. <laughs> I don't even know what's happening this morning. Um, it seems like there's no communication. They don't get these people together. The people who are boots on the ground. Hey, what do you need and how do we fix this? You're in the middle of this. What is your vision for fixing this problem instead of somebody who's sitting at the almost the Canadian border has no clue what's happening down here? You, you know what's fascinating about that statement is so just to put into context, so I'd look at the last five years of the evolution of, of policing and my time as a deputy chief and supporting Chief Magnus and to becoming a director and coming back now as a chief. And we've had to really rethink as a profession all aspects of the way that we do our job. Mm-hmm. That's what the country is, is called the policing profession to do, 18,000 police departments to do, and we're a work in progress on that. And I'm going to, you know, some of that conversation starts with the federal government. I'm going to ask them to do the same thing here. We have amazing leaders in charge of our local CBP, uh, ICE, uh, ATF, DEA, FBI, all the three-letter acronyms. They're very capable of making of smart decisions because that's why they're the chiefs of their of that bureau at a state level here locally. But the right. reality is most of the decisions that are made are made in Washington. And so that's the problem. You know, they need it to give they need to give leadership the autonomy to make the boots on the ground decisions. And I've uh I've been down with Sheriff Daniels and his team and I've I've last year and I personally watched an unsecure border and people, humans being staged across our border because it's not secure. So again, this is a bipartisan call to action. Public safety is caught in the middle here. We're, we're providing feedback to uh, our local, state, and federal uh, bodies of government. Um, but, but, you know, we, we, we got to do more, and, and, and we can only do more together. And so we're going to keep working together collaboratively at public safety to try to get different results here. Okay, I'm going to try to get somebody on to address that because this, be is, amazing. this is insane. And it is affecting all our communities, not just the border people. It's affecting Tucson, Phoenix. It's affecting everybody. Well, and it's going to affect the asylum seeker. I mean, what does an asylum seeker do when they're dropped off in New York or Chicago and they don't have family? Or here in Tucson. And they don't know what the... Yeah, there's yeah. no shelter. They have no job. They have no money. Well, the way... That, yeah, not to... Again, we'll kind of close maybe this topic with the fact that they, they can't even get meaningful work because they don't have the immigration paperwork and status to be able to do that. So then exactly. what? Then what? Yeah. They're, they're there. so Really complicated problem, but federal government, we're calling you to do more. Exactly. Get down here, see what's going on, and fix it. That's what we pay them to do. That's right. You get the big bucks. I want to thank you. And we didn't even tell everybody Richard's here. <laughs> my wingman, my, eight, my early Saturday morning. Wingman. Couldn't do it without him. 
<laughs> he's awesome. I have an amazing uh, PIO office, so, and he's part of that team. I want to thank you for everything that you do for the city of Tucson. You're amazing. You've got an amazing team. And sorry you missed your bike ride this morning to be here. No problem. <laughs> no problem. Well, thank you, Tucson, for listening in. We, we love serving you, and, and uh, we're looking forward to another great collaborative year. Absolutely. Until next week, shop local and stay safe.